Hey, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor of Reach Community Church, uh, and I am excited that you're here today. Uh, I'm going to preach on a section of scripture that if you've been around the church at all, you've heard. And the typically what happens when that happens is that you kind of in your brain go, okay, well, I know what this scripture wants to say to me. And, and, and you kind of coast and I really encourage you. I think there's something, uh, as I was going through the, the text this week that I feel like there's one specific thing that I just want to land on. So as you're hearing it, please don't kind of shut out, open yourself to really what God wants to do in and through his word. So. Okay, we have animated movies out there, and there's one that I'm going to reference that you may or may not like, and I, I hope you like it. Anybody see Lion King, you know, that movie? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's all right. You know, we can like, even if you don't have kids, you can claim. That's old enough that most people in here, you might have been a child when it was out. Um, it has this idea that I want to hit off of. Anybody remember the song, Akuna Matata? See, right now in your brain, you're like, <laughs> what a wonderful phrase, Akuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. There we go. There we go. Akuna Matata. Um, you, if you know the story, you, you know what happens. There is Simba, who is the future king. And Simba is convinced by his uncle Scar that he has done something that killed his father. And he runs away to, you know, hide from his past. But what it didn't do to him is it didn't change who he was. In his reality of where he was with Timon and Pumbaa, is that in that place he was still the future king, but he wasn't living like he was the future king. He wasn't living under the identity that had been given to him by his father. And so this morning, where I'm going to land on, we're going to talk about the prodigal son story. In the reality that if, if, if we don't understand our rightful identity, we will live under identity that we place on ourselves, which most of the time will be less than the true identity, just like Simba. Simba was living out there and it, and it seemed like this was all great and grand until he realizes that him not being in the position that he had born to be in was hurting other people. And I, I believe truly that we as kingdom people, God has given us position that if we don't walk in what God has called us to be, our identity, it will hinder other people. It could be our immediate family, could be those that we could be interacting with. And so before we get into the word, I want to pray. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I just thank you that your word, no matter how many times we read it, will always speak to us. Lord, we declare that your word will never return void. And Lord, I pray this morning as we read through a familiar text that you would speak clearly to us. That you would allow us to see ourselves in the picture 
of one of the two sons. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be transformed into what you declare about us. Instead of what we declare about ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. So there's a couple things happen at the beginning of Luke. That lead Jesus into telling three parables that were very similar, talking about the same thing, something that was lost and something that was found. And the Pharisees are what stir this pot, mostly because Jesus was doing what a religious leader of his day shouldn't be doing, which was hanging out with sinful people, which I think is hilarious. How dare you, righteous man, be reaching out to those who need the Savior? How dare you be doing that? And the Pharisees are mad that he's hanging out and having dinner and and eating with sinful people. And so he tells three parables. One, the lost sheep. He loses one of the 99 and he goes after that one, brings it back, and there's a celebration. He tells the story of the lost coin. The coin that... Gets lost and the lady of the house realizes the coin is lost. She sweeps the house clean. She finds the coin. She invites her friends over and they have a celebration because of what was lost is now found. And then it leads to the parable of the lost son. And we're going to be in Luke 15. It starts in verse 11 and we're going to go all the way through verse 32. And there's lots of things that I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to go completely through it. I'm going to have several points of um, questions for you out of these scenarios that we're going to talk through. And hopefully one of them will um, resonate with what's going on in your own life. And then we're going to come back to this one reality that I believe that God wants to hammer us on this morning in a good way. Not like he wants to beat you down. So it starts like this in verse 11. And this is Jesus telling the pilgrim, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Let me, and I know in, in our culture, if you go to your father and be like, hey, you know, I, I just want, you know, my inheritance. It's not as big a deal. In this culture, if you were to go to your father and say, hey, what is going to be mine? Please divide it. And give it to me now is like going to your father and say, I wish you were dead. I want what you're going to give me when you die now. I mean, hugely disrespectful. I mean, like this is you cannot imagine the amount of disrespect in this culture. And we see it in our understanding of it, but we don't understand what's actually going on. I mean, can you imagine the father having a son come to you and say, look, I don't want any more from you other than possessions. And I want to take that and I want to go do what I want to do with those possessions. In verse 13, it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Uh, actually, prodigal in, in this literally means wasteful extravagance. In verse 14, it says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. 
And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Okay, in culturally... Pigs were a unclean animal. They didn't eat them. They didn't have anything to do with them. They did not touch them. They didn't touch the waste of them. You didn't do anything with a pig. So this is clearly showing you this man is at the end of his rope. He has absolutely nothing else. And he is selling himself to another person in another community to do a job that he would never do before. And he's sitting there doing the job that he would have never done up until this point thinking, if I could just eat what he's feeding these animals. And, and no one, it says right here, and no one gave him anything. This first, verse 17, there, there's a big but right here. And I think we all get to this place at some point in our life. But when he came to himself, I, I, I don't know, if you're all older, you've, you've probably had this multiple times. If you've not had this yet, you will have it at some point. That reality that you think you're smarter than everyone else and as your parents or whoever have given you wise advice and you think it's idiotic and stupid and you don't feel like you should do it or need to do it, and then you don't do it. And then at some point you realize, man, these people love me and actually gave me good advice that I didn't listen to. He says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I am perishing here with hunger. Verse 18, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And here, here's the thing that I, I'm, we're going to land on. And here, potentially, is your interaction with the Father. At some point in your story, most of you in this room, not everyone, but most of you in this room have had that aha moment. Going, I'm not that wise, I'm not that smart, and I need a Savior. And the problem with that aha moment, if we do not... If it does not settle us, we'll do what the prodigal son did. Is that we offer to God what we think we are. So this is what's going on here. He's telling himself before he gets back to the father, this I am. And he's he's repentant. I mean, he is not like, hey, I'm going to manipulate my father and use him and try to get back in his good graces. He realizes what he's done. He is far beyond trying to make himself look better. And he's saying, I'm going to go back into my father's house and I'm not even going to be a son. I'm just going to be a hired servant. I'm just going to be there in the background working as a laborer. And here's the danger of our aha moment. If it doesn't bring us to the right places, that we will live the rest of our life under Christ, under our identity that we have claimed for ourselves, And let me just tell you, your identity that you think you are, if it's not rightfully placed there by the scriptures and by the father himself, you will live in a place that is less than your identity. Just like Simba doing what he thought 
because he was running from his past and he thought this is the only thing that I'm good for. And he's he's still a productive citizen of the, you know, the rainforest. He's not even killing any animals. He's eating bugs, which is gross. But the problem was he was not living under his identity that he was born into. And as followers of Jesus, as disciples of the king, we get born into a new identity. The moment that we say, Father, I'm yours. And we begin that journey. He changes, you know, old creation, new creation. He makes you into something completely new. And the problem that I want to address this morning is that if you're living under the identity that you claimed and not the one that God gave you, you're going to live in that place alone. And you're going to be content in the place that you have determined that you're going to be in instead of living to the potential that God has created you specifically for. We'll come back to that. In verse 20, And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassionate and ran and embraced him and kissed him. His father, I mean, this is, this is a, it's a parable, it's a story, but this is a story about God the Father. And the sons are an image of us. And here's God the Father waiting for this moment, seeing his son returning. Now, you cannot imagine what at this point he may look like. How withered away he is, you know, how dirty he is. It's not like, you know, oh, there's my boy, you know, he's wearing, you know, his nice Sunday outfit that I gave him two years ago. You know, he's coming back potentially in rags, filthy, smelling like pigs. And the father runs to him, embraces him and kisses him. In verse 21, it says, and the son said to the father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Here's another great but. But the father said to his servants, notice that the father does not even take into consideration what the prodigal son just said. Prodigal son saying, hey, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. And the father completely ignored them and and did this. Look at this. He He calls to the servants. He says, bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand. This is all identity. These are these are things identifying him as a son and shoes for his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son, not my future hired servant, not my future indentured servant, not my, you know. I mean, parents, we've all had those moments where you're like, None of that. He's not even feeling the tension of what his son has done to him personally. He is celebrating that his son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they begin to celebrate. The father did not even allow what the son thought about himself to register on his new identity. At all. So hold that 
for a second, because this is this is part of what I want to deal with today. There's there's another section following this in 25 to 32 that I also want to deal with, because there's a potential that you're living under the identity that God has placed on you. But there's a potential that you're the other lost brother. Most of the most of the time we look at this story as one lost, disrespectful son and we ignore the older brother. We ignore what happens after verse 25 other than most of us, if we're in the elder brother camp, completely agree with everything that he says after this. Let's read. We'll see if this is you. Because this is lost son number two. Verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing like party I was not invited to. I mean, he was invited to, but he's coming in, he's hearing the celebration going on. And he called to one of the servants and asked what, what, this, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe, and sound. I mean, let me, let me, let me, I don't want to end this totally shun the older brother. Let's, let's give some justifiable terms to what he's feeling. And he, he's going he's gonna to state his case. But could you imagine being the elder brother? The elder brother gets the majority. So in this in this um, culture, the elder brother gets the the lion's share of what's going to be given at the father's passing, and the other brothers get pieces of what's left. This brother gets the lion's share of what what's left is all his. And could you imagine seeing your younger brother do this to your father, and probably being there during the months, potential years after this, as the father is hurting is literally is broken because of the treatment from the younger son i mean can you imagine i don't want to just go like the older son is just a horrible person because we may be the older brother sitting in this room right now we may be in this place which is not a place that we want to be in verse 28 but he was angry and refused to go in his father came out and entreated him but he answered the father look these many years i have served you i have never disobeyed your command yet you never gave me a young goat like i have done everything you wanted and you've never let me have a party That I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, it says, but when the son of yours, not my brother, not, you know, we are, my kids do that. I'd be like, that one's yours. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The imagery here, let's talk about this just for a second. This celebration that was going on is 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 very 
tightly connected to a picture of heaven. That the lost was found and they were celebrating the return. And if you look at it through that perspective, the elder brother who is lost because of his own personal righteousness. Some of us sitting in this room right now, because you have not done X, Y, or Z, because you've been better than name them, your, their, heads are, or their names are probably rolling around in your head. You probably believe that you should be honored among those in this room because you've done the right thing. You serve. You came here early, you put money in the box, fill in the blank. Years of dedication to the things of God. Why shouldn't God honor you? But the elder brother did not enter in. So he's sitting outside of the father's celebration. The father threw the party for the son, but it was the father's celebration. And the elder brother would not enter into the celebration with the family and made the father, which was hugely disrespectful in this culture, to leave the celebration and come out to the elder son and implore him to come in. And the elder brother, all he did was make excuses for why he would not enter in to the celebration. See, the beauty of this story is that God the Father wants to make sure that everybody in, in, in any of the hearers of his story understands that we all enter at the same place. Every one of us, if you are in this room a child of God, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you are here not by your merit, but not, not by your work, not by your effort, not by your energy. You're here because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Every one of us enter into the celebration through the same way. And the danger that we run into is that the longer we're in this community... And I don't mean reach community church. The longer you're in this Christ-centered community, the easier it is for you to forget what got you into the community. And the easier it is for you to become that elder brother that looks at those that walk in our door or every time we do an outreach and you look at the people in our community that desperately need life transformation from Jesus, you would never say this, hopefully. But in your mind, you go, they don't deserve this. Like, we don't want them in, in, in our place. And it's not our celebration. It's the Father's. And the Father gets to choose who he brings into that celebration, whether it be the deadbeat son that squandered everything, all the property, which we didn't even talk about, that how property... Isn't like, you know, well, you want to go buy an acre here. I mean, property was passed on from generation to generation. I mean, it had been potentially in this family line for hundreds of years. And the son has just squandered part of that thing that's potentially been in the family for generations. So here's. This younger brother that's entering into an identity that he didn't even feel that he deserved. And here's the older brother that would not enter into the joy of the father because he felt 
because he had always done the right thing that he deserved what the younger brother got. When the father's saying, it's yours. Like he, the father didn't withhold the goat from him. The father didn't say you cannot have a party. The father didn't say that you can't celebrate. The father just said, hey, everything that I have, which is the reality, is yours. I never kept you from that. And so this morning, the thing that I, I just like I was even talking about this morning, there, there's an emotional side of this first brother. For me. That it is so easy for us to live less than what God has declared you to be. It's so easy for you to right now even say, I love Jesus, I'm for Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, but still live every day of your life less than what God has called you to. And I'm not talking about actions. I'm not talking about like serving or giving more. I'm talking about literally having the identity. Wearing the robe, wearing the ring, getting the sandals, meaning where are you deciding that I don't deserve the robe, I don't deserve the ring, I don't deserve the sandals, I still want to be part of the family, but I'm not going to take the identity, the truth that God has spoken over you. And I think what I want to land on and where I want us to go and where when we go into our last song of worship, this is something that needs to be wrestled with. Because you will live under the identity that you have placed on yourself. Which will always be less than what God has called you to. Or you will begin to trust the words of the Father to you. Plain and simple. You cannot, you cannot exist in both realms. You cannot you know, have this. And, and this is the problem. is because you know you. So no one, most people in this room don't know your prodigal story. They don't know when you have failed. They don't know when you faltered. They don't know what you've done, stolen, cheated, robbed. They don't know any of that. And so some of the people in this room look at you and go, man, if I could be like them. And you're hiding this thing on the inside of you. You're wearing the shell that you're placing on side of you as the hired servant instead of the son. Because we will, I truly believe, will live to the identity that we claim. You will live to the identity that you believe is yours, even if it is self-prescribed, meaning that you've given it to yourself. And to be completely honest, I, I said yes to Jesus. I, I grew up in and around the church, going to church, knowing things about Jesus, but never submitted my life to him until I was 18 years old. And for the last 24 years, this has been something that I have wrestled with over and over again. Identity will be the thing that you have to fight for. Because what will happen, potentially... Is that today you can you can feel that like just the, the presence of the Holy Spirit going, yes, you are my son or daughter. You you can feel 
not literally, but you can feel that almost like you can feel God putting this robe on you. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross for us. He, he gave us his righteousness. So that the Father sees us not from our past, not from our future, but who we are in Christ. And you can feel that. And you, you may be even with zeal thinking, I'm going to step out of this room today, out of this building today, and going, I am going to live like he says. And I don't mean, this is not even, this is not me saying like behave better, act better. This is literally because the way you think, and I'm not going with the philosophy, you'll do. But yes, in the, the way you think about yourself as it relates to the truth that Scripture speaks over you, you will live to that. So the problem is potentially you'll feel that today. We'll get to the end. We'll pray. You might even come up for prayer. You, you, during the song, you're like, yes, there might be tears. There might be this moment that you're like, God, I have not stepped into the reality of who you said I am, even though I believe it, even though your word says it over me. And the problem is, is that we leave this building into a world that's chaos. See, in this moment, there's, there's a sometimes... The pressure of our world might fall off in this room, not that it's special, but just in this moment when the presence of God is here, you, you, you begin to kind of release some of those shackles. You begin to release some of the pressure that's going on. You feel like you can breathe. There is a potential that anything could happen. And then you walk outside of this room and you want to go wherever for lunch and your spouse wants to go to the other place. And you don't like that. And you get mad. Or your kids do something. It starts to fight in the car before you even get home from church. Or tonight something happens and you get angry. Or tomorrow everybody gets up late. Your alarm doesn't go off. Something happens and you lose your mind. And what happens in those moments if you don't reset that every single time is that you will forget what happened today. And you'll begin to go, this is who I am. And I truly believe that's where we stay. There, I heard, I don't know where this came from, but uh, I think um, Daniel used it here one time. That the level of your spiritual maturity is seen by how quickly you repent. How quickly you own up to whatever. Like, you know, when you lose your stuff and you get frustrated with your spouse or your kids, how quickly you go to them and say, I was wrong. That repentance is just resetting you to who you truly are. Of going, God, I, I, and it's, a, it's a fight that you will fight every day for the rest of your life. Because the world and everyone around you will want to identify you as fill in the blank. As who you were before, how you acted five minutes ago. Instead of the reality of what Jesus is saying to you, this is, I mean, can you imagine... You had this plan. You've rehearsed what you're going to say to the Father, and on the way in, you get one line out, and He completely ignores you and calls in the servants to put on the coat and the ring and the shoes, and the celebration begins. The fatted calf gets, you know, there's a, a big party. And the Father declares who you are. Do you understand that? Are you living in that reality right now? 
Like, are you in this room right now understanding that regardless of your past, just like Simba, just like the prodigal son, we want to say who we are based on what happened behind us. I'm an angry person. I'm a lustful person. I'm fill in the blank. This is who I was. And Jesus is going, hey, no, 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 no. You're our new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And we still want to pull from what was to make us who we are now instead of trusting that God through the Holy Spirit in you right now is in the business of perfecting you to the place of you actually walking in and living to that identity. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up and we're we at Reach intentionally have a song at the end, not just so we can keep you here a little bit longer. We intentionally put a song at the end because I believe the best opportunity for you to respond is now because the world gets chaos. Like you're going to get a little wet potentially when you leave and that may just ruin your day. It may mess up your hair and you'll be like. Done. Instead of right now settling on an identity that God places on you. Because if you've come to the father like the prodigal son, acknowledging this, I mean, he was humbled, he was repentant, and he, he isn't, he's not saying the father owes him anything, and the father does not owe us anything. But the Father loved us so much that he created an opportunity for us to grab an identity that was not ours any longer. And so today is that moment that you do a couple of things. You either, one, say, God, I want that. I want that identity over me. I've not believed that. I've not walked in that. And today is that day that I want to trust what you say over me versus everything else or it could be you today going i've said yes to jesus i don't care how long ago it was and you're not living in the reality of who you truly are and you go god i i'm squandering my present now because i'm still living in this old identity and i I want to stand in and on the truth that you speak over me Or maybe you're the older brother that is sitting there thinking that your own personal righteousness has elevated you to a higher level than anyone else. And let me just tell you, your self-righteousness can eliminate you from the celebration just like your sin. Because it is and will always be Christ alone for us. So as we close, as we go back into worship, ask yourself those questions. Where are you this morning? Are you living in that identity? If you're not, have a conversation. Here's the beauty of the the reality that we live in right now. God, through Jesus, has separated the veil, has given us access into his presence And right now, you can have a divine encounter with the living God that could radically transform your life right now. Or you can be living in and through Jesus, but still not living to that place of going, I'm yours and I believe your words over mine. Because one of the most dangerous things that we can do is begin to believe what we think 
more than we believe about what God thinks about us. The son was never intended to come back and be anything but a son. So if that's you, just worship. You can stay seated. You can stand up. You can raise your hands. You, you can whatever. But the reality is, is this the day that you choose to believe God over you? Because if you're not, you will settle to being in this place that you will repeat. It will be like Groundhog's Day. Trust me. Been there, done that. We think our wisdom will get us to the place that we need to be instead of going, God, I trust you. Let's pray. Dearly Father, it is by your grace and your mercy that there is even an option of a loving father receiving the prodigal son back into his arms. And this morning, as we go into our last song, Lord, we want to acknowledge that you and you alone are the one that sets us in a place that we can enjoy a new identity. That we can enjoy a life not of comfort, but a life of peace and joy that comes from living in that truth. And so, Lord, for those in this room that are, are, are your children, but they're living under their idea of who they are versus what you declare about them, Lord, I pray that you reset that right now. And, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that is not... Claim their identity in you. Lord, I pray that this would be a divinely encouraging moment. Where they would literally feel the, the cloak and the ring and the sandals being put on. The, the declaration of son or daughter. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room that finds themselves in the position of the elder brother that is just bitter at the good works that they've done, and, and, and your hand is not matching their effort. Your goodness is not matching their work for you. Lord, I pray that you would reset their way of thinking also. And Lord, we are grateful that you give us these stories. We're grateful for the story of the prodigal son, that we can see what the, the reception of the Father is for us now through Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.